Good morning. Merry Christmas. Pastor Thomas had planned to be up here, but much like Mary and Joseph on Christmas Eve, they too are anticipating. Um, So she was due Friday, I think. But uh, Bruce, where are you? No word yet, right? Oh, it's in the back. Um, So let's be praying for them. But in the meantime, uh, uh, Thomas asked if I could bring the word to you this morning. And so as I was thinking about praying about what to say, one thing that stuck in my mind was uh, just traveling around town, the many manger scenes that we see. And who figures prominently in those manger scenes? Of course, you've got baby Jesus front and center. But then you have Mary and Joseph, right? And Joseph has sort of over time uh, not gotten much attention. But Mary has. In fact, she's received uh, so much attention, many have put her on a pedestal, even some offering worship to her. Something which I think uh, Mary, Mary would be appalled at today. I remember when my wife and I visited Montreal several years ago, we went to the Basilica there. And as you enter the Basilica, it's a very beautiful, ornate building. Right over the entrance is this huge statue of Mary. Now, there is a statue of Jesus there, but they've stuck him inside in a far corner. Um, So, tragically, so many give more honor to the Redeemer of Mary, sorry, the Mary than rather the Redeemer of Mary, the one who actually made her. And so because of this, I think we as uh, Christians, as evangelicals, we can tend to shy away from giving any attention to Mary at all, right? We can tend to sort of overreact, and I think... um, We do that to our detriment because as we look at the Christmas story, we see in that young woman an incredible example of faith. So I wanted this morning to have us take notice of her because her example of faith, I think, will encourage us and challenge us in our own faith. So I want to draw attention to her, especially as the story unravels in Luke chapter 1. So if you could turn to Luke chapter 1 with me this morning. Luke chapter 1, and as you do that, let's open up our time and ask God to bless His Word. Father, we do thank You for sending Your Son and the amazing events that surrounded His birth. Lord, we thank You too for this woman Mary that You used in an instrumental way in bringing Your Son to this earth. And so I pray, Lord, as we look to Your Word now, that Your Spirit would open our eyes to understand, challenge us, Lord, to live out the truths that we see here, and even to consider Mary's own example of one who trusted in You. We thank You again for this time that You've given us. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let me begin by reading from verse 26 in Luke 1. Now, I know you're familiar with the story, but don't let its familiarity um, cause us to lose some of the insights that I want us to notice here this morning. So beginning in verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, I want us to stop there a minute. Let's go back in time and let's say, let's say what, uh, you know, G- Gabriel here was dispatched to 
after six months after being dispatched to tell Zacharias and Elizabeth of an unexpected pregnancy, a few months later now, he's sent out again to tell of another unexpected pregnancy. But this one is going to be far more amazing and fantastic. And so I would like us to think about what if we were following Gabriel down that particular day? He's just dispatched from the Lord to go uh, down. And so let's say we're following him and he's, he's approaching Israel, right? And we'd expect, okay, he's definitely going to stop in Jerusalem, right? He's going to tell the leaders there, this is the prominent city in Israel. He's going to tell them what's happening, right? But no, he passes right on by. He continues north. He goes up into Galilee of all places. Thinking, well, maybe, okay, he must be going to Capernaum. Capernaum's a prominent seaport town. There's many important people there. Maybe he's stopping there, but no, he veers westward. He moves away from Capernaum. He, he goes down in these off-roads and he veers into, and you're, you're going along and you see this sign that says Nazareth. You think about, wait a minute, Nazareth? The armpit of Israel. He's going there? Well, okay, maybe he's going to stop at the location of the, the elders. You know, they normally were at the, in the front of town near the city gate. Maybe he's going to tell them. No, he skips them. He goes to this small ta- house on the edge of town, goes into this room where there's this young lady, probably not more than 15 or 16 there. Maybe she's doing chores. We're not told exactly. But it is this young woman. Think about that. This young woman is the one Gabriel was sent to declare the most amazing message yet declared on earth. And Gabriel is sent to her. To this young lady who's engaged to Joseph, we are told. Again, she's probably in her teenage years, given the, the uh, cultural practices of the time. She's engaged to this carpenter who probably they will eke out a living over time, maybe have children, and then die in anonymity like everyone else in the small town of Nazareth. And yet that was not God's plan for her, was it? Why did Gabriel come? Look at verse 28. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So what's her immediate reaction? The super being shows up in her room instantly. Right? She's perplexed. She's amazed. She's wondering what all of this means. I mean, just put yourself in her shoes, right? Again, probably a normal day doing some chores. Then this guy shows up and he has this message. Now, again, remember, she lives in a poor town. She's a young teenager, unknown family, a sinner like every one of us. And here this guy comes. So I think you and I would be just as perplexed. And perhaps a little unsettled, just as she was. Notice verse 31. In her confusion, Gabriel says this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end of his kingdom. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Again, we know the story so well. I think sometimes it's difficult to sort of put ourselves in her position in hearing this message. Right? Gabriel tells her, you're going to give birth. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. And by the way, he is the Son of God. 
Now, what's the first thought that pops into her head? What's the first thing she asks him? Talk to me now. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. You know, I, I've, never, uh, I've never been with a man, right? She understood her biology. She knew exactly what was going on here. Now, now some English translations have her saying, how can this be? But actually, I like the, the Legacy Standard Bible, also the ESV, more correctly translates the future tense of the verb. She said, how will this be? You see, she wasn't doubting God could do it. She just didn't understand how he would do it. She wasn't questioning his ability. Well, notice Gabriel's response in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And you'll notice if you read through the Christmas story in Matthew and in Luke, you'll see it repeated several times that this baby would come from the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what the angel tells her here. Gabriel says this will not be a work of man, but a work of God specifically. So again, pause here a moment. Think about being Mary at this point. She's a thoughtful young lady. She's not this whimsical kid. She knew exactly what he was saying. Right? That she's not yet out of high school, but she would be pregnant. She's going to have a baby. And that baby's going to come without the assistance of a man. And that this baby would be the long-awaited Messiah. The person they had been waiting for for centuries, anticipating. Every woman who was born a Jew was hoping she would be the one. And also, this baby would be God's son. And I'll bet she understood the ramifications of this. Having an unwed pregnancy, right? She would probably lose Joseph, which she almost did, right? She would definitely, uh, if you remember in the Old Testament, what was the, what was the punishment for adultery? Which this would be considered adultery. She was engaged. Right. Stoning. And they didn't practice it that much anymore, but certainly she would be considered a criminal. Certainly she would be viewed as an outcast. Certainly this would follow her the rest of her life. And think about the ridicule. I mean, who's going to believe this story? Ah, yeah, sure. An angel. Ah, OK. Yeah, you're, you're pregnant without. Yeah, sure. Mary, I mean, think of what she was facing here. A young woman. Barely in her teens. And what is her response? Look with me at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Immediately after she was told of these incredible events that would take place in her life and all that would result from that, knowing what would happen, she says, Behold, the slave of the Lord, I am willing to be ostracized, divorced, humiliated, distrusted, persecuted because, God, I am your slave. Do with me what you want. That is incredible. That is faith. Though this 
young lady. It's younger than many of us, most of us here. She serves as an example of genuine faith in God. And for those of you young people who are here this morning, do not think God cannot use you to make an impact, by the way. This young woman, unknown town, poor family, and yet God chose her. And then in her response, we see, I I would see four characteristics of genuine faith here. Four characteristics I think we need to take a look at be a challenge not only for us, but even for our children. Notice first, genuine faith believes the impossible. This is the first characteristic. Again, Mary believed God would do something that had never been done before. Right? Sure, there were many women of old who, who God had opened their wombs and they were able to give birth to a child. Her cousin Elizabeth, her relative Elizabeth, she just found out about it. And there's Sarah and Hannah and Ruth. Certainly she would know of these stories, but they got pregnant the normal way. In Mary's case, this baby would come differently. And he was not an ordinary baby. He was going to be the Messiah. And more than that, he was going to be, is the Son of God. But Mary trusted God's Word. Despite the amazing statements given to her by the angel She did not trust in what she saw or what she felt. She trusted in the one whose message was being brought. And that was enough for Mary to risk it all. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your will. Mary believed the impossible. And I think it's helpful and important to ask ourselves in reflecting on that. How about you? Do you believe the impossible? Do you believe in a virgin birth that actually took place in history and that this one who was born was indeed God in human flesh and that he lived a perfect life and died a death on the cross and then rose again. Do you believe that? In the world's eyes, all of those things are impossible. A sinless man who rose again, who was God in human flesh. I just came from a country last week where... You are persecuted, perhaps even killed for making such a statement that this Jesus was the Son of God. Do you believe that? And do you believe that He is the only source of truth and life? That in Him and Him alone is true contentment, true joy, true peace. Do you believe that? Do you believe He is better than any substance or any entertainment or any relationship or any amount of money? Do you believe that? Mary did. And Mary shows us that not only does genuine faith believe the impossible, genuine faith expresses joyful submission. Did you see that here? Look with me at verse 46. A few months later, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And these are the words that are recorded that she said. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has looked upon the humble state of His slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Now this begins what is known the world over as Mary's Magnificat. Because in the Latin translation, Magnificat is the first word that she says. And it means magnifies. And I think that really reflects Mary's attitude here, right? 
I mean, do you see a, a woman here who's moping around, who's resigned to her fate, that has said, you know, Lord, if you say so, that I don't really have a choice, do I? Is that her attitude here? Not at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And notice, too, she doesn't try to offer any reasonable excuse, right? Like, Lord, no one's going to believe me anyway. Why, why don't you wait until I'm married for this? How am I going to raise this boy if I don't have a husband? He doesn't express that anywhere here. In fact, it's the opposite. There's joy and praise to God. That is exactly my soul magnifies. My spirit rejoices, Mary says. And notice again, she refers to herself as a slave. She knew that she, just like every other person, is a sinner before God and honestly deserved his wrath rather than his kindness. And so she joyfully, she humbly Submits to God's plan for her. In fact, she sees it as a great honor to serve Him. So again, let's flip this and turn it on ourselves. Do you express a joyful submission of faith to God, whatever path He has chosen for you? Whatever circumstances He has given you? Are you submissive to His Word? When he says to forgive one another, to love one another as yourself, to be pure, to not love the world, to not give in to anger, to not repay evil for evil. When he instructs us to submit to our husband, to submit to our wives, to raise our children in the Lord, to obey our parents. When he tells us to treat one another as more important than ourselves, to share the gospel, to serve. How do you respond to that? Is it like Mary? Again, what she was told to do, what was placed upon her, what was given to her by God was something I think a lot more difficult than many of us have faced. And yet she responds in joyful submission. So as we consider all the instruction and direction in God's plan for us, do you offer excuses? Do you chafe at these commands? Or do you say like Mary, behold... I am your slave, God. Do whatever it is that you choose to do with my life. Because genuine faith joyfully and humbly submits. Genuine faith believes the impossible. And genuine faith is willing to suffer. Again, faith in God always comes with a cost. Salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Mary's acceptance of God's plan again meant she would be the object of scorn. She would be the object of rejection. She was expecting from this a difficult life. And again, any who submit to God's will are going to suffer. I mean, just think back through biblical history. Think of Noah and Abraham, Daniel, Job, Stephen, Paul, even Jesus himself suffered. And it's no different today. There are many today, right now, who because of their faith in Christ are suffering. Some have been imprisoned, some betrayed, some even killed. Again, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It comes with it. It comes with a genuine faith. You're willing to suffer. So as we think about Mary's faith, how does she get there? 
How does this young lady have this kind of faith, a faith that believes the impossible, a faith that joyfully submits and a faith that's willing to suffer? Well, that takes us to the fourth characteristic of genuine faith, and we see it in the rest of Mary's Magnificat and what she says there. Look with me at verse 49. Listen carefully to what Mary says. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. That's a profound statement. It's really a psalm, if you look at it. And here I think Mary shows us how does one get to this place where she can joyfully declare, God, I am your slave, do with me whatever you want, no matter the cost. How does a person get there? Well, Mary shows us here, she knew her God. She knew God. Look at this Magnificat. She's expressing attribute after attribute. She's reflecting upon who God is and what He has done. She trusts Him because of that. When God gave her this incredibly difficult task, because she knew Him, rather than say, woe is me, she says, glory to God. Quite stunning. Genuine faith comes from knowing God. Comes from knowing God. So again, let's reflect. How well do you know God? Would you trust Him to this extent? If I were to ask you about a particular attribute of God, would you be able to describe that attribute? Would you be able to define it from Scripture? Would you be able to to tell me how it has impacted your life? This young lady could. This young lady demonstrated that she knew God's word. She meditated on God's word so much so that that when she uh, was confronted with and given this opportunity to serve, what comes out of her mind and heart is the very word of God. This wasn't some pious, formal, distant statement that she gave here. This was from her heart. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in the God of my salvation. This is a woman who has been impacted because of her intimacy with God through His Word. It's a challenge to us. How well do we know Him? How well do we know His Word? How much time do you spend meditating on the Word so that in a moment like this in your life, would these kinds of things come out of your mouth? I know God. I know who He is. I know what He's done. I trust Him. Praise God for this plan that He has put into my life. Praise Him for these circumstances that He has given me. Do you trust God even when His plan doesn't make sense? How many of us are, you know, when certain things come into our lives, particularly difficult things, you know, we we know exactly what God is doing, right? It's like He tells us ahead of time, doesn't He? Okay, uh, I'm going to have your child become very, very sick, perhaps even die. And this is why. Do you ever get that message? This is why you've lost your job. This is why you're suffering this persecution from that family member. 
We're not usually told, are we? It just happens. But we know because God is sovereign, it is part of his plan for our life. But the question is, do you trust him? Do you know him well enough to trust him, even if that plan doesn't make sense? One night, a house caught fire and the young boy was forced to flee to the roof of his home. His father had made it to the ground below and he cried out to his son, jump, son, I'll catch you. But the fire began coming out of the the windows and through the roof and the smoke and the flames. He couldn't see his dad. He could only hear him. So he hesitated. But his father continued to cry out from below, jump, son, I'll catch you. But, daddy, I can't see you. I don't know where you are. But his father said this, but I can see you and that's all that matters. It's the object of our faith that matters. Not the faith itself. It is who you trust, not just that you trust. That's why Mary jumped. She knew who it was that was calling out to her. And she knew who it was that was telling her, I will catch you. Now, in the end, this Christmas story, it's not all about Mary. Certainly, she's an amazing example of faith, but... She's not the main focus here, is she? Go back to Gabriel's first words to her when she when he arrived. What did he tell her? Greetings. Favored one, the Lord is with you. And then later, a couple sentences later, he says, you have found favor with God, Mary. Now, those words for greeting and favor, they come from the same root word, charis, which means grace. It's an unmerited benefit or kindness given to someone who doesn't deserve it. Now, the Latin Vulgate translated his greeting as hail Mary, full of grace, making it sound like Mary is the source of grace, but she's not. She's the recipient of it. We see that here, that it is God who is bestowing grace. It is God who is showing favor. Again, this story is not so much about Mary's faith as it is about God's grace and using Mary and her faith. God showed favor to Mary. How? She would bear the Messiah. She would bear the Son of God. She would have God's Son in her womb. And think about this. Some of Mary's features would probably be seen on Jesus' face. No other human being has that honor. Mary did. But in the end, it was not her worthiness, was it? It was God's choice. Because again, grace is unmerited. It's unearned. It's not something we deserve. It's something that God freely gives of His own choice. And when God showed grace to Mary, he was really showing grace to all of us, wasn't he? Because if God had not sent his son into the world, Mary would have no savior and neither would we. If God had not visited a young girl in a no-name town, we would have no redeemer. We would have no coming king. We would all be lost in sin And suffer its consequences of eternal separation from God in hell. I'm I'm thankful for Mary's example. I'm encouraged by it. I'm also very challenged by it. 
But her example doesn't save me. Her trust in God doesn't cleanse me or any of us from our sin. Without Jesus paying the penalty for our sin, her faith and our faith would be in vain. And so those words to Gabriel that he said to Mary when he said, Hail, favored one, really, in a sense, he's saying, Hail, favored ones. (laughs) Because a gift is coming not only for Mary, but for us all. God was doing more than a miracle of a virgin pregnancy here. In that moment, when Gabriel spoke and said what was to come for Mary, he was giving, God was giving all of us a man who would live a perfect life, who would suffer a death, an unjust death on the cross, a sacrificial death, a death that would pay for the sin of any who would put their trust in him. And then that man would rise again so that we could be forgiven. So that we could have eternal life. So that we could be adopted as God's children. But that only comes through faith. Just because Jesus did all of these things doesn't mean it automatically applies to us. We must put our trust in Him and Him alone. Right? John 3.16 God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whoever, what? Believes in Him. Trusts Him. Has faith in Him alone will receive eternal life. This is what we must do because there is no salvation without first confessing our sin to a holy God. There is no eternal life without putting our trust in Christ alone, without submitting to Him as Lord and Savior. Just being here on a Christmas Eve, it's great that you are here, but just being here doesn't mean God's, okay, you're in. This doesn't earn you any merit or brownie points with him. Nothing we do can. Except believe. Except desire to turn from our sin and put our trust in Christ alone. The Bible says if you do that. You with your mouth confess Jesus as Lord and with your heart believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the message of Christmas. Really, that one has come to make that happen. Someone has come. God has shown His mercy and kindness to us by sending His own Son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And using this amazing young woman to make that happen. Whose own faith herself is an example and testimony to us. So to have this faith, we must earnestly ask for it. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So ask Him for that gift. Say, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I want to trust you. I know that that you say that I must believe in you. And so I want to do that. Grant me that faith. Give me that gift. And an earnest prayer from a humble sinner will be heard. So plead with God for that. And as you look upon the manger scene this Christmas, remember Mary's example of faith and remember God's grace as a motivation to live by faith. Pray with me.